Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. working this week to cultivate our understanding uh, of ourselves as dual citizens, first with an allegiance to the kingdom of heaven and secondarily to the particular nation state or kingdom of this world into which we were born or to which we were naturalized through a citizenship process. And so I was reminded uh, as I was preparing for our conversation of what Paul says in Philippians 3.20, that our citizenship is in heaven. Now, that's an interesting consideration from Paul, who is a Roman citizen. Um, And so when it came to advancing the gospel, you know, he would use his Roman citizenship when that was of benefit, um, and he would make mention of it. But Paul's allegiance was not to Rome and not to the emperor. Paul understood that although his, you know, birth certificate, although, you know, different in his day than in ours, but his birth certificate mattered as a person who was born in a place, a physical place that Rome had conquered, and because of the status of his own family, um, he was a Roman citizen. But he seemed to understand that the reality of his rebirth into a living hope into the kingdom of Jesus Christ was not only a surpassing knowledge, but a surpassing reality. Um, Roman citizenship in the days of the New Testament was actually lorded over everyone who were not citizens of Rome. Roman citizens enjoyed all kinds of rights and privileges that non-citizens did not have. Uh, And Roman citizens, I mean, we know this from Paul's own testimony, like they had this right to make their case. They had a right to appeal decisions to the highest law in the land, which was the emperor himself. And they could avoid punishments that other people could not avoid. Um, And so it's interesting to note the things that Paul says about his citizenship. And in Acts chapter 22, there's this exchange um, that Paul has with not only a Roman centurion who is stretching him out to be flogged on the blocks, um, but uh, the, the commander of the centurion who is alarmed that under his watch a Roman citizen had been even put in chains. And so the value of citizenship is something that Paul talks about. I encourage you to consider what Paul ultimately says about the value of his citizenship here in the world as a Jew um, and as a, and as a, a Roman versus his understanding of the consideration of Christ. And so there I would point back to Philippians 3. I'd encourage you to look at verses 8 and 9 where Paul says, I consider everything, everything. So his Jewishness, his Roman citizenship. I consider everything as a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. So let us consider the dual nature of our own citizenship today. And like Paul, let us consider all, all as nothing compared to knowing Christ and being found in him. Dane Ortland is up next. The book is Gentle and Lowly. I can hardly wait. We'll be right back.
So I'm privileged to be joined today by Pastor Dane Ortland. Uh, he is uh, Dr. Dane Ortland. He serves as senior pastor of the Naperville Presbyterian Church in Naperville, Illinois. Um, he's also uh, an editor for the Knowing the Bible series and the short series in biblical theology, uh, author of several books, including the one we're going to talk about today, which is Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. Dane, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks, Carmen. Great to talk to you today. So it's great to be, um, it's great to have you here. So I really want to lead off with um, really where you start in the introduction. Uh, what is this book about? It's about that thing which we all naturally stiff arm and resist without even realizing it, though we may be very orthodox in our beliefs as Christians, namely, how does Jesus Christ in heaven right now today actually feel about me, messy, little, fickle, faltering, straggling me in my ongoing Christian life? In other words, what is his deepest heart for me? It is an intensely personal um, book um, because you— you get down right into it with me. It's it's one thing for me to have right beliefs, for me to be orthodox um, in terms of what I know about God and therefore what I say is true of God. It's a whole different thing to know who Jesus is, um, to know him. Um, talk about the, the difference there, the, the difference between yeah. knowing about God and even having a right theology and actually getting to the place where I recognize that the whole point of this exercise is that I would know him in the mm. person of Jesus. Wow. Makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it, Carmen? I mean, we can... I had classes in a very good, solid seminary on the person of Christ. He's truly God and truly man, you know, Orthodox Christology. I had classes on the work of Christ, his atoning death and resurrection, the incarnation, and so on. But I never had a class on the heart of Christ. And as you rightly said, uh, Carmen, to to know, not just know about him, but to know him is the difference in being a healthy Christian or not. I mean, the Pharisees and the scribes in the four Gospels knew about God. They were impeccably orthodox, for the most part, in what they believed about the Scripture, what they uh, adhered to doctrinally and what they believed. But but they received Christ's most uh, severe upbraiding. And um, I think what I have been on a little journey on learning in this last eight years or so in my life is um, is how exactly Jesus feels about me, because I keep sinning. I'm not a, sin, sin is not a past reality for me only. It's also a present one. And uh, some of the great thinkers of the past helped me to see what the Scripture says, namely that um, I know Christ most deeply as I fellowship with him, aware that his heart is drawn out to me strongest in my regions of deepest pain, regret, anguish, and sin. He doesn't withdraw at that point. That's actually where he is most strongly drawn to me. So one of the things I really appreciate about the book, and again, the book is Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. Um, I really appreciate that, you know, although it is a new book, it's just filled with old thoughts. And you turn to others who have recognized the heart of Christ. You lift up their words. Um, you you bring to the fore conversations that others have had. Um, so talk a little bit about that, because there's a little bit yeah. of strategy there. 
Oh yeah, for sure. Um, we can. C.S. Lewis said that there are two ways to see what our your own blind spots in your own generation are. Number one, uh, get in a time machine and travel into the future two hundred years. And he said we can't yet do that. Number two, get in a time machine and travel into the past two or three or five or a thousand years. And uh, we can do that by pulling books off the shelf. So we're we're left to only go, being able to go to the past, not the future, to see what our own blind spots are. And when I went uh, three, four, five hundred years back and looked at what thinkers, pastors, writers, authors, theologians were saying, I realized they're talking about something I have not realized. I We don't talk about much today, namely— Christ's heart and God's heart in the Old Testament. It's all through the Bible. It's it's not a major, major theme on every page, but it is there, and we don't talk about it. So I was largely, you're right, Carmen, drawing from the past um, to have, to, to be coached by some pastors, especially in England in the 1600s, to help me and help all of us see what the Scripture says about who God and Christ most deeply are. And you bring all of that forward in a way that is really accessible and um, really speaks to the challenges that, you know, I will say regular Christians have every day. Right. Like we, we recognize that we still struggle with sin and we certainly suffer. Um, mm-hmm. I want to highlight um, when you start here in the book um, what Jesus says about himself in terms of mm-hmm. his own heart. So I'm going to read a passage that's incredibly familiar um, to all of us, but maybe this is not the portion of it that we have focused on before. So it comes from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. This is Jesus speaking. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, obviously, the title of the book, Gentle, Gentle and Lowly, is drawn from this passage. What is it mm-hmm. about this that helps us understand the heart of Jesus? Oh, man. I I would put those words, I am gentle and lowly in heart, up there as a candidate for the most wonderful words ever uttered by human lips, Carmen. Um, it is not what... if. If that were to get... Uh, if that was not in my Bible and I didn't... I had never read that before... But I was familiar with biblical teaching, and someone said, hey, Jesus is going to say what he, what he most deeply is. Remember, the heart in both Old Testament and New is not just what we feel. Sometimes we speak today of the head and the heart, what I think and what I feel. The heart in the Bible, though, is is what we feel and what we judge with, decide with, think with, rationalize with. The heart is the very center of who we are, the core of who we are. And Jesus, when he talks about his own heart— <laughs> He doesn't say, I am demanding and austere in heart. He doesn't, he doesn't even say something that might seem more natural to him, that, you know, something like, I am very generous and joyful in heart, though that's true. But when he sets the terms, what his own claim in the one place in all four Gospels where he says, here's who I most deeply am, here's my heart, he says, gentle and lowly. That's a very surprising claim, that the radiant eternal Son of God, the Revelation 1 Christ, who has a sword coming, double-edged sword coming out of his mouth, the, uh, the, the, the eternal Son of God would say, here's my deepest heart, is gentle and lowly. That's a claim worth a lifetime of reflection and celebration. 
Absolutely. All right. Uh, Dane, Ortland, and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about gentle and lowly, the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. We'll be right back. All right, returning to my conversation now with Dane Ortland about his new book, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. Um, Dane, every, uh, every chapter of the book is rich and very, very satisfying. I found, um, I found chapter 17, His Ways Are Not Our Ways, to take me to a place in Isaiah 55 that I had not, I had certainly not fully considered the way that you lifted up. So when, um, when we think about the phrase, uh, the statement, the truth, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Uh, this mm. this Isaiah fifty five eight verse, we yeah. we sometimes use it, and you point this out. We sometimes use it as a way of sort of, well, that's you know, I'm gonna, I don't understand what's going on, but you know, that's because God's thoughts are not my thoughts, and so then we just we move on. Um, you set it in context, and you mm-hmm. set it, you know, and you help us understand the context of Isaiah fifty five. I'm wondering if you can help us see what God is saying when he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Mm, I love that passage. And, and uh, thanks, Carmen. It's, it is, uh, and it is true, of course, that when mysterious things happen to us in life, one way to understand that is God is supremely, perfectly wise and sovereign. And so we trust him because his ways are not our ways. But that passage is not actually saying that. What it says is, you know, it's a call to seek the Lord it's a call for the wicked to forsake their way, and so on. And the text says, let, uh, let him return to the Lord, that he may, that the Lord may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And then the grounding for leaving sin and coming back, collapsing into the arms of God all over again is, for <laughs> my thoughts are not your thoughts, God says, my ways are not your ways. As far as the heavens are above the earth, my thoughts are not your thoughts. In other words, we tend to think that God is tit for tat, that he pays us back exactly according to what we deserve and so on. But actually, the motivation in Isaiah 55 to come to God and to, to fall into his arms again for fresh embrace, hugging, forgiveness, love, is that he is not like us. So one of the things I'm trying to say throughout the book, not only in that chapter, is we have to let the scripture deconstruct our natural intuitive thought about who God is. He's not a bigger, better version of us. Jesus is not a bigger, better version of us. He is fundamentally different from us in that he does not treat us the way we deserve. Psalm 103 says the same thing. So that's a glorious gospel reality um, that is being grounded by God's ways and thoughts being far different from ours. It's not just about God being mysterious and sovereign. It's actually about his heart of love. So that's what's in here. Um, chapter after chapter um, are those kinds of explorations into the Word of God to discover the very heart of God. Uh, the book is Gentle and Lowly. Dane, I want to, um, I really, I, I, I want to go to two places. I want to go to the very beginning and the very end of the book. Mm-hmm. So in the very beginning of the book, um, um, I think the very first two words, let me actually turn and verify that. I think the first two words of the book are my dad, my dad. Mm, right. Um, okay. So 
it's interesting to me that um, you start there. Um, talk with us a little bit about legacy, because what you are doing um, in in your vocation, what you are doing as an author, what it sounds like you are doing in conversations is passing on to others what you have also received. Talk, talk about right. that. That's that's all I'm doing, and it's all I'm able to do, Carmen. I am a um, collection of thoughts, insights, and convictions that have been passed down to me. Nothing <laughs> that I believe or say in this book or any other is something that is completely out of the blue. Even if uh, it's me reading the scripture in Isaiah 55 and seeing something for the first time, that is something that God is giving me to and through other human minds. But my dad is the greatest guy I've ever known. He is a real Christian, a real Christian, um, he is, uh, the same man everywhere in any context. And this book in particular, he should get half the royalties because he is so fundamentally embedded within it at every point. And I wouldn't believe what the Puritans and Warfield and Edwards, um, say about the scripture. If I hadn't heard my dad preach it and see him live it and see him believe it and see him hang on to it through his own pain and, and anguish and suffering. So um, this book would never have materialized uh, without my dad. And then I want to go from there to the epilogue, to the end, mm-hmm. um, because this is the what now portion of the book. And right. um, I will say to you, it was very satisfying It was very satisfying to have someone else say, it's okay to just bask in the glow. It's okay. Uh, It's okay, um, you know, for people who've been walking in darkness and who have seen a great light to then just stand there and bask in the glow. Talk talk about that. What are we supposed to do once we know that the heart of the Father revealed in the heart of the Son is, uh, is, is for us? We're supposed to shut up and do nothing and enjoy it because our, our, what we're wired to do, Carmen is, okay, I've heard this, this theological truth. I've seen the gospel here. I've, I've learned something. Okay. Now I need to download, download this into my life and get busy uh, working this out and, and so on. And there's some far off way in which that is true. Of course, we, we want to not just believe with our head, but live out with our lives, but we are so hardwired and spring loaded to turn the gospel into its opposite, to turn grace into its opposite, to to hear the message of the love of God, and then immediately get busy in whatever way we quietly do it, uh, to get busy making ourselves lovable and um, making sure that we are the kind of person exactly that he really loves and so on. But actually, that that <laughs> is necessarily self-contradictory. What we want to do is hear the the message of grace in the scripture and then soak it up. Um, the, the question here is not, okay, now how do I apply this to my life? There's a time and a place to ask that question. I, I believe that. The, the apostles are doing that all over the New Testament. But the way, if we try to apply a message like the heart of Christ before it really sinks into the center of us, then we will not actually be absorbing it and able to apply it. God wants us to simply receive, to bask, as you put it. And that really was the, what I want, the note I wanted ringing in the ears of the readers of the book as they closed it, because that is, is where true freedom and liberation and joy and actually ultimately real obedience is going to come. 
Um, okay, one final question before we let you go, and um, thank you again so much. This is Dane Ortland. The book is Gentle and Lowly, uh, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. Sum up the Christian life in two steps. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, the, the way I propose that in the book, Carmen, is uh, step step number one, uh, go to Jesus Christ, the, the unfailing friend of sinners and sufferers. Step number two, see step number one. And the way I put it like that is simply to make the point that we, though though we naturally want to put together a list of four or seven or 12 steps for me to get my life together, and there is wisdom to having certain strategies for growing in Christ. Absolutely. Nevertheless, the basic, what I want to communicate is the basic way in which we come into the Christian life is how we move on in the Christian life. Jesus and his unfailing love for sinners is not just the gateway into Christianity. It is the pathway of Christianity. As you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, Colossians 2, 6, so walk in him. The same way you came in, move on. How did I come in? I came in with nothing but the empty hands of faith, need, and sin. And as I move on in the Christian life, though I do believe we grow in godliness, that's unmistakable, undeniable in the New Testament. Absolutely, we need to do that. If we're not growing, we're probably not born again. Nevertheless, the way we move on is by continually hitting refresh (laughs) on the same thing that got us in, namely going to Jesus Christ, sitting at his feet, um, letting him love us, hearing him in the scripture, partaking of word and sacrament with the gathered body, and um, uh, uh, basically every day becoming a Christian all over again by going to Christ and letting him love us. That is that is at core the Christian life, and we should not complicate it by adding to that. I'm just going to call it the uh, Christian two-step from now on. There you go. I really, I really like it. Go to Jesus, number one, and then number two, see number one. Dane Ortland, what a joy. Thank you so much. The book is Gentle, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. Best place, Dane, for um, people to connect with you? Uh, probably Twitter. Just okay. Dane Ortland, real easy to find. At Dane Ortland. Dane, thank you yeah. so much. Thanks, Carmen. Great talking with you. You too. We'll be right back. All right. uh, You have heard of Facebook. You have heard of Twitter. You have heard of Instagram. Have you heard of Parler? Have you already set up a Parler account? Have you migrated from Twitter to Parler? That is is a question that I'm going to ask Chris Martin. Now, I recognize there's a lot of people not on Twitter at all. Um, And so we are talking about a conversation that is being had among what we would maybe consider social media influencers, but we're also talking about where ordinary people are engaging the conversations of the day with one another and where those platforms might be where we could most effectively serve as missionaries of the gospel. So that conversation up next with Chris Martin, uh, who now works for Moody Publishers. And um, really, he writes every single week uh, about topics at the intersection of the Christian faith and social media. And so just really appreciate his insights and wisdom. So Chris Martin, up next. When you're bringing up teenagers, it's all too easy to be quick on advice and long on lectures. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. 
James chapter 1, verse 19 says, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Man, I often get these things mixed up. I'll be lightning fast in my reprimands, especially when I'm miffed. Think about that biblical formula today. Is your first response to listen, or are you a little too eager to add your opinion to the conversation? Before you start doubting your parenting skills, take a breath. You don't need to be perfect. Just take a baby step. Choose to listen right now. By God's grace, He can make you quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Want to bring Mark to your church or community? Find out how to request an event in your area when you visit parentingtodaysteens.org. Joining me now, Chris Martin. He's editor for Moody Press and social media consultant. You can check him out at termsofservice.social. You can also follow him on Twitter at Chris Martin seventeen. Um, can we also follow follow you on Parlor or you can, MeWe uh, or Rumble? <clears throat> I I'm not on any of those platforms. No. <laughs> okay, but that's where we're going to start the conversation today. I don't even know what they are, so that's why I listed them off. Yeah. So uh, Parlay is actually how it's pronounced. Oh, um, Parlay. The French word. You know, for, are the people who are moving to that platform aware of that? Uh, no, I'm absolutely not. Saying. No. I nope, feel nope, like that's not is. the crowd that's <laughs> using a French pronunciation of anything. But go ahead. Gen- generally, no. Um, so, yeah, Parlay is how it's technically pronounced and MeWe and, and Rumble. Um, quite frankly, I'm just going to put this in a little uh, – if not in a um, – not in a crude way, but in a little bit of a crass way, MeWe, uh, Parlay, and Rumble are the safe spaces for people who have made fun of people for going to safe spaces for years. Um, th- that's effectively what they are. <clears throat> um, we've got a lot of really conservative folks, and honestly, I've seen a lot of friends who are just uh, conservative in their political or, or or general worldview in general start going there. But for the longest time, Parlay... MeWe and Rumble, uh, the latter two of which haven't really gotten much notoriety until this latest kind of exodus to these platforms. But Parlay actually has been around for a while um, and really became big this summer uh, after Twitter put a sort of warning label on President Trump's tweet about when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Um, Mm -hmm. That's the first time that there was kind of a mass exodus of conservative, uh, as we call them, super online conservative folks. Uh, And by that, I mean people who are um, often engaging on social media, uh, debating politics or worldview things that uh, tend to hold a very pronounced conservative perspective. Um, So not folks that tend to kind of keep their heads down or be quiet or, um, or might be, you know, marginally conservative, but the folks that were really leading the charge to platforms like Parlay in the summer were people who believed that Twitter was unfairly censoring the president um, and perhaps other conservative voices and said, hey, we're going to go over to this uh, platform and where there's not going to be any censorship and people can say whatever they want. And those leftist social media uh, magnates can't have any say over what we do. Um, And so they tried that in the summer uh, and it was like a flash in the pan. Uh, Nobody really 
went there in mass um and uh everybody was still guys like dan bongino uh is one of the people dana loesch maria baritaromo um so all kinds of like I call them conservative influencers, conservative super influencers. Uh, we're trying to get people to flock that way. Uh, Republican representatives in Congress were trying to get people to flock to par- parlay in the summer. Um, and it just wasn't really happening. Uh, and then we had the election. During the election, obviously, it did not go the way of those conservative influencers. And in the process, Twitter and Facebook were having to moderate a significant amount of the Trump campaign's content because of the false information that they were putting out repeatedly. And so because of that, it kind of the same thing that happened in the summer with the one warning label on the looting starts, the shooting starts tweet, because that happened a lot in the wake of the election and all of the misinformation about the fraud stuff, um, those platforms were warning labeling a lot. So a lot of these conservative influencers, um, you know, revved the engine on the let's head over to different platforms. We're being oppressed on these platforms uh, machine and are getting more people than they did in the summer to move over to Parlay or MeWe, which are two similar platforms. And then Rumble is like YouTube uh, basically, uh, hmm. but for, but for hardcore conservatives. Um, and so, yeah, so it's these folks retreating to a space that's nice and safe for them where they feel like they're not going to be oppressed or censored or things like that. Uh, and I think it's not going to last more than a couple of months, if that. Um, OK, so the screenshot um, in your post about this that shows the most downloaded apps, um, this feels like the appropriate time for me to tell everybody the Faith Radio app has been updated. And wouldn't it be fun to see it? On the top of the list. There you go. Ah, if you've crazy. never, yeah. if you've never downloaded the Faith Radio app, today's the day to do it. Let's see if we can compete with um, all of these other uh, things that are being downloaded. It's great content because you could actually like get this conversation later and share it with someone else. Um, all right, Chris. Let's um, first of all, um, before we have another heady conversation about Facebook's algorithms, which just sounds like math, um, I want to ask a a more fun personal question. Two weeks from today will be uh, Black Friday. It will be Leftover Day. It will be the day after Thanksgiving. And it occurs to me that um, you have a, a person in your household that wasn't there on Thanksgiving last year. So talk with us about gratitude a little bit this year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm super grateful for uh, our daughter, Maggie, and she is uh, just now just over seven months old, and um, she's been great, and I'm just so grateful to be having her. Unfortunately, this year, uh, we just we made the hard decision this week to not travel home for Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. uh, given cases are bad here in Tennessee and in Indiana, where we're from. And so we'll be celebrating Thanksgiving as a small little family on our own for the first time. And um, I, I bought up a nice big old brisket and uh, that mm. I've never I've never cooked anything like that before. So we're going to have to see how that goes. Uh, but we're going to be eating brisket for like two weeks, I think, based on the size of the thing that I bought. So. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just grateful for, you know, despite this year, which everyone's kind of like been joking about how terrible of a year it's been for me. It's been a pretty great year. I've got a new job at a publisher that I really enjoy working for. And um, I've got a new daughter that uh, is a joy and, and is um, just beautiful and fun to be around. Uh, and yeah, I'm just I'm I'm grateful for so much this year, kind of despite everything. So amidst uh, if it feeling like a lot's going bad, I feel like the Lord's really been gracious to me. You have to smoke that brisket, man. 
I know, I know, but okay. I don't have a smoker, so it's going to have to be an oven deal. So <laughs> okay, so um, um, we will, you and I will chat about options available to you in preparing your brisket. And for those of you who um also have things like brisket for Thanksgiving, um, you can find Chris Martin on Twitter, Chris Martin seventeen, and send him all of your um good brisket uh, rubs. You could send him all of your good um, brisket dipping options. People like a range of things to sauce up their brisket with. So um, I feel like we can help you out. Um, All right, Chris, uh, Chris and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, I'm going to ask him about uh, Facebook's polarization of us through their algorithm, which I know sounds like math, but he's going to explain it. And then um, we're going to briefly touch on the, um, the consolidation of podcasting platforms. There you go. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I already have a listener who wants Chris Martin to know that there are ways that you can make brisket in the oven and it's going to be okay. Um, so I, uh, I'm beginning the appeal on Twitter for help for you. Also want you to know that in Texas, um, they're, uh, when they make like hurricane supply lists and they post them, they talk about the number of briskets people will need to get through a particular, like, flood or, yeah. So anyway, it's Wonderful. a big deal, man. Wonderful. I know. Yeah. I know. I'm kind of excited for you. I'm looking forward to the follow-up on that. Um, okay. <laughs> um, Facebook, first of all, um, what is an algorithm? Because that sounds like math to me. And, um, and Facebook has one, an algorithm. And apparently it is continuing not only to polarize us, but, um, but there are ways that we can resist it. And you talk about it in one of your posts on terms of service. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't like math either. Uh, short story, when I was in high school, I when I was a junior in high school, I would come home from school and I got all A's. I was like an all A student throughout school. Um, and I would come home from school my junior year of high school and I worked at a pizza joint. I'd come home, drop off my mat, my pre-calculus math homework to my dad, who's like an engineering mind, IBM, worked for IBM computer science kind of brain. And uh, he would literally do my homework. I would go to work until about 10 o'clock, close up shop at the piece joint, come home. Now, my dad was not doing my homework and I was turning it in. Let's be clear. He, w- he would do my homework and then walk me through, teach me my pre-calculus homework through tears as I bawled at the kitchen table because mm. I was so frustrated with the fact that this doesn't affect my life. It doesn't matter. And I can't spend any more time on this because it's never going to matter to me. Anyway, that's my math story. I hate it. So algorithms are math, but thankfully uh, Facebook doesn't really reveal their algorithm to us. Like they don't reveal the math to us. So thankfully when we're looking at Facebook's algorithm, we're not really dealing with math. Um, We're just trying to figure out the consequences of the math that they're doing that decides the content we see. And so uh, Facebook has this really complicated math equation that decides that helps them figure out what would be most interesting to Carmen in her Facebook feed this morning to keep her scrolling and not make her flip over to some other app that she wants to use or stop using her phone altogether. If you haven't watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix, they do a really good job of explaining how this works. So go. I know I've recommended that on here before, but go watch that. They do a good job of explaining it. So then, the Facebook yeah. – The Facebook algorithm is designed to keep you scrolling, to keep you tapping, whether it's like or comment or share. And so naturally, the content they're going to deliver to your feed through their algorithm is going to be content that either – that makes you feel something. The worst thing Facebook can do in their mind 
is not deliver you content that makes you mad. The worst thing that they can do is deliver you content that doesn't make you feel anything. The worst thing they can do is deliver you content that makes you bored. And so they're always looking to deliver, not like, it's not like some person sitting on a computer, hmm, what's going to make Carmen mad today? Or what's going to make Carmen happy? But they have math equations. This is why they're a billion dollar company. They have math equations based that take inputs on your past activity on the platform. And then the output is, okay, here's because she's liked these 15 things or shared these 12 things. Here are 12 things we think she would engage with today that have been posted in the last 48 hours or so. And so Facebook, the problem is that is designed to polarize us. And so I, a lot of people don't like blaming social media because like, oh, it's just a neutral tool that we've just used in bad, sinful ways. And that that's a little bit true. But the platform, like the math that none of us have access to because it's like their secret sauce that they keep in behind lock and key. Mm -hmm. But that math, what we do know is that it's purposed to deliver us content that makes us either really happy and, and excited or really frustrated and mad. And so and Facebook's own research has shown this before. And they when they figured that out, they shelved it and didn't tell anybody about it until the Wall Street Journal somehow discovered it through some leak last year. So Facebook even knows that their algorithm polarizes us. So what we have to do as we're reading uh, through Facebook, if we haven't left for parlay or something else, is we have to recognize that we're being played in a sense. We're being played and we're trying our Facebook is implicitly trying to sort of make us feel something one way or the other. Now, sometimes that's great. Sometimes that's great because it's a silly video of a cat, but then sometimes it's bad because it's a piece of political content that just enrages us. And so what we have to do is we have to go into Facebook kind of like on, as we used to say when I was playing baseball as a kid, not on your heels so that a ground ball would catch you and kind of knock you backward, but kind of on the balls of your feet, on the not on your tiptoes either, because that's a little that's a little too excited, but kind of on that front part of your foot, and you're like ready to take whatever comes your way, and you understand that every time you scroll your Facebook feed, it is designed to get you to click and tap, and when you come at it with that perspective, you can play a little bit better mental defense and not be caught up in the whirlwind of, oh, that's such a sweet post. Oh, how could they say that? How is that even possible? You know what I mean? And so if we just play a little bit of mental defense in that way, we can protect our minds against the algorithms that are designed to almost enslave us, I think. In terms of mental defense, I um, just want to encourage people, you know, that scripture verse about every thought captive to Christ. That's a good um, mental defense mechanism. And I love the image of, you know, the baseball players up on the balls of their feet ready to, you know, like you can see them. You can see the ones that are ready. Their gloves out in front of them and they're they're ready for what's coming their way. Um, and that's a defensive posture because that's what the that's the side of the ball they're playing um, at, you know, at that point in time. All right, um, Chris, we've got a couple of minutes to talk about the consolidation that is happening among um, podcasting companies. I'll just admit to you, this is, uh, I mean, I know what podcasts are. I don't know how they get where they, where they are and out to the world. So Spotify has acquired Megaphone. Yeah, so there, there are a bunch of podcast companies out there, and slowly but surely they're being gobbled up by bigger media platforms. So Megaphone is one of those platforms, uh, is formerly called Panoply Media. Um, that's the one, they cre they create Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, if anyone's mm. ever listened to that, who's listening. Um, but yeah, there, there are big platforms like Sirius or iHeart 
or Pandora, these kind of big audio-based media platforms that are going around and kind of gobbling up these smaller – because there are a bunch of smaller media companies that have been created solely to create podcasts. And now you have bigger players like Spotify, et cetera, that are kind of – buying them up and then therefore buying all of their properties and therefore buying all the revenue that comes in from all of those ads on all of those properties. And so um, podcasting is only growing. It's so crazy. The story of podcasting, I will one day read a book on that, I'm sure, because there's so ever since they've been around forever, but with serials, uh, with with the serial Adnan Syed story a couple years ago, it really reinvigorated podcasting, and um and it's a fascinating story. But podcasts are continuing to grow, and then you have these big companies like Spotify buying up the smaller companies, and um, the the consolidation has begun. So it's a fascinating media uh, development, and it'll be interesting to see how it continues. I love it. Uh, listener Lori says, I so appreciate the information Chris provides. I'm so glad you have him on. Well, I am too. Chris Martin, thank you so much. Terms of Service is the blog. Um, encourage you to check that out. Uh, Chris Martin on Twitter at ChrisMartin17 and apparently um, on all the other socials that we already know, but maybe not on all of the alternative socials we don't yet know. Right. And send me your smoker tips, please. Yeah, yeah. Smoker tips. Smoker. Yeah, he's got he needs it's a brisket emergency. All right. That's a well, he's not up next. He's going to be back, though, in a couple of weeks after Thanksgiving. And we're going to talk about how his brisket turned out. All right. We look forward to that. Chris, thank you, as always. Thanks. We'll be right back. All right, friends, um, we've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. We've got a few seconds left right now. Um, thank you to the listener who has let Chris Martin know, indeed, you have a smoker, you just don't know it. Apparently, you can turn an old filing cabinet into a smoker. My guess is he has an old filing cabinet. We might get into all kinds of fun conversations the next time Chris is on, if indeed he takes your brisket challenge of turning a filing cabinet into a smoker. I got I, I to gotta tell you, that's kind of fun. I might, uh, I might have to try that here at my house. We've got an old filing cabinet sitting around somewhere. All right. All that is old is new again. Let us go forth and be the new creations that we are called to be in Christ Jesus. Everything, everything uh, is before. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.